This concluding the topic of describing different categories based on the three gunas, Satvarajasthamas. Concluding, Lord Krishna says that there is no being either on the earth or even in the heavens that is free from these three gunas. That means that whatever there is on this earth, in heavens or anywhere else, is all made up of the three gunas, Sattva, Rajas and Tamas. Because anything that is created must be created out of the three gunas, and everything other than Atma is created, and therefore, everything other than Atma, what we call an Atma, is all made up of the three gunas, Sattva, Rajas and Tamas. <coughs> then we discussed yesterday how now the whole samsara has been described, and now Lord has to proceed to show us a way of how to extricate ourselves from this cycle of action and reaction. So everyone is caught up in this chain of action and reaction. Every karma or reaction is an action. And karma for the result becomes a reaction. And reaction is such that becomes the cause of further action. See, every effect becomes the cause of another effect. <coughs> there's a cause and there's an effect. So every effect also becomes a cause. Like the seed is a cause, and then the tree is the effect, but the tree gives us to other fruits and other seeds, and also becomes a cause, you see? The seed is a cause, tree is the effect. But the tree, the effect, has the potential of the other cause. The tree possesses the fruits, which possess the seeds, and therefore, tree which is effect, has the potential of other cause, which gives us to other trees, and those trees again give us to other seeds, and that's how we find everywhere in the creation. Every, if anything that happens, anything that happens, happens because of some reason. But anything that happens also causes another happening. And thus, every effect also is a potential cause, giving rise to another effect. <coughs> For example, the parents, they have a child, that's the effect. That becomes the cause of another child, that's another, you know. So every effect becomes the, the father and the son. Son also becomes father, gives rise to another son. Because father, Give us one lesson, and this is how, this is just simple example, but if you examine, whatever happens is the result of some actions, and whatever happens also causes other action. As we say, every experience that we gain is caused by something that was done by us in the past. And every experience also creates reaction in me, either experience is likable or not likable, is pleasant or unpleasant. A pleasant experience also causes a reaction that I am happy and that I want to remain happy. And therefore, I want to hold on to that which is pleasant and not want to let it go, so that's an action. 
If the experience is unpleasant, it also causes reaction in me that I do not like it. I would avoid it. I want to keep it away. And thus, every experience causes reaction, which causes further action, which causes experience, which causes further action. And this is how the chain of action and reaction goes on. What do we do? In order to extend, what happens is that we have no freedom in this chain of action and reaction, unfortunately. Unfortunately, the action that we perform also, in them also we don't have freedom. Because most of our actions are in fact impelled by our own attachments and aversions. The likes and dislikes are there. And whether I like it or not, those likes and dislikes impel me to do something. That is the reason why we find that we just cannot sit quietly. I try to sit quietly and there is some discomfort in there. Some likes and dislikes are there which always want to express themselves and they impel me to do something. And therefore, even in performing actions also, generally we are not free. And an action brings about reaction, then again we react. But that also we are not free. That reaction brings the impulse further action, again we are not free. So there's nothing wrong with action. There's nothing wrong in the cause and effect. There's nothing wrong anywhere. If there is anything, a problem, and that is that I am not free, I am impelled by something else, I am always compelled. That means that I am always under compulsion. I do not have the freedom. This is the problem. If you can perform an action with free will, fine. If an experience comes, you can enjoy it, fine. But unfortunately action also, I don't perform my Raghadvesha or likes and dislikes perform the action. And I don't experience the result. My Raghadvesha again experience the result because I judge the result as favorable, unfavorable, success, failure, pleasant, unpleasant, desirable, undesirable, and then I experience it. And therefore the human being is always controlled by his impulses. All the impulses are, as we said, reduced to these two impulses, Raga and Dvesha, attachment and aversion. But that includes everything else. Whether it is anger, whether it is resentment, whether it is jealousy, whatever it is, all these negative impulses which impel me, they are all included in this Raja and Dvesha, attachment and aversion. So this is the life of human being, where there is no freedom. This is what we call bondage. And thus, we have to become free to live this life. As we said, the life is given to us for us to enjoy it. But we must know how to enjoy things. If I can relate to the world, if I can relate to things around me in an objective manner, in a non-reacting manner, that non-reacting manner is called dispassion. What is called vairagya or dispassion is nothing but non-reaction. That I don't react. That I can welcome everything. That I can see the beauty which is there in everything. Then I can enjoy it. So the whole world is creation of God. In fact, is a manifestation of God. And therefore, everything potentially has that fullness in it. Provided I am ready to contact it, I am ready to see it, I am ready to experience it. How to do that? So that freedom alone is called moksha. Right now, I do not have freedom. It is not some, something outside of me impels me or compels me. It is my own impulses, my own reactions, my own discomfort with myself that impels me to do something. And therefore, I am always impelled, I am always compelled. This is called bondage, this is called the the dependence and bondage. How to extricate ourselves from this process? 
you can see how beautiful the scheme is of becoming free. How do we extricate ourselves from this? From this compulsion, impulsion, from my impulses. I allow myself to be compelled by something outside of myself. That means, rather than my actions being compelled by my own impulses, I place myself in the hands of the order. That means that I decide to perform the actions which are in keeping with the order or harmony of the universe. Because when I perform actions of my own attachment aversions, when I react, in all likelihood my actions are going to be in violation to the order. See, whenever I act out of anger, whenever I act out of lust, whenever I act out of greed or resentment or jealousy or anything, I'm going to hurt somebody. And ultimately, I'm going to hurt myself also. What is meant by hurt? Hurting means I have violated the order. I have done something to somebody which I would not want them to do, you see. When I act out of anger, I do to you that which I would not want you to do to me. I tell you some harsh, some harsh words and I, 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 I hurt your feelings. That means out of anger, I wind up doing something which I would not want others to do to me. So when I perform an action within keeping with my expectation of what I want others to do to me, that would be called order. If you want a simple definition of what is harmony or is order, then there is an order around which the whole universe is functioning. What is meant by that order in, the, in, in a given situation? Lord Krishna said in the sixth chapter, how does a wise perform, person act? Atmopamyena sarvatra samam pasyati yojana. This wise person places himself or herself in the position of others. Sukham vaya dukham. What would make me happy? Would make the other person also happy. What would make me unhappy? Would make the other person also unhappy. I do not want unhappiness and therefore other person also does not want unhappiness. I want happiness, therefore other person also wants happiness. I want the other person would to make me happy. I would want other person not to make me unhappy. And therefore, I should also act in such a manner as to try at least to make the other person happy and not make the other person unhappy. So this simple rule of thumb will determine what would be an appropriate response in a given situation. And this is based on the universal rule that we should not do unto others what we do not want them to do to us. And we should attempt to do to others what we like them to do to us. This is a universal rule. That is what we call the order. <coughs> and therefore, I adopt this order in my life. That is, I make a commitment to this order rather than to my likes and dislikes. That's all. Right now my commitment is to my likes and dislikes and therefore, whatever they tell me, I do. I just change my commitment. I make a commitment to act according to the order, to the harmony. If my likes and dislikes happen to be in keeping with the harmony, well, you are lucky. If the likes and dislikes are not in keeping with harmony, then what I like to do is not in keeping with that order. Or what I like, don't like to do also is not in keeping with that order. Then I do not submit myself to my inner impulses, but I, I am determined to perform an action which is in keeping with the order. Action performed in this spirit is called duty. This is the concept of duty. Then an action that I perform 
he is in keeping with order. Because I am given the free will. And because of free will, I have the freedom to violate the order. And whenever I violate the order, I hurt somebody and also in the process I hurt myself also. And I am most likely, I am most likely to violate the order whenever I act out of the impulses of likes and dislikes. And therefore commitment not to come under the sway of likes and dislikes and deliberately act in accordance with the order. This is called the spirit of beauty. So therefore, Lord Chita now wants to teach us what is duty. And actions performed. In, that is also called Swadharma. Dharma. Dharma means righteousness. Dharma means order. Swadharma, that is the right action for me. So the word dharma will come later on, but dharma, this word is often translated as religion, which is okay. There are many meanings of that word. But fundamentally dharma means dharana dharma, that which upholds is called dharma. Like heat is called the dharma of the fire because fire upholds, heat upholds fire. There cannot be fire without heat. Brightness is dharma of the sun because brightness upholds sun. There cannot be sun without brightness. Similarly also, what is the, what is that sustains the whole universe? That order or the harmony and that's what keeps everything together. We find that all the different elements of the universe are functioning in a harmony, in a spirit of cooperation. So there is a certain spirit which keeps the whole universe together. It holds in harmony. And therefore that is called dharma. Ultimately that is God. But then God alone manifests as what we call the order as a fundamental laws according to which all the elements function. So that order is called dharma. And therefore, when I perform an action in keeping that order, then my action also would be called dharma. And when I deliberately perform an action that violates the order, my action would be called adharma. And therefore, svadharma anusthana tattvajnana First step is Swadharma Anushthanam, this performance of one's own duty or being true to myself. What happens is that order which we are talking about in the universe is not something totally different from me. That order that we are speaking of is what is that order? Is nothing but my own self. That order is called God and God happens to be my own self and therefore whenever I act in keeping with that order, I am acting in keeping with my own self, my own nature. And whenever I violate the order, in fact, I am violating myself. <coughs> when I violate myself, I hurt myself. So therefore, for a non-discriminative or non-thinking person, most of your life is nothing but violating himself. We keep hurting ourselves through actions which are an intelligent action. So through unintelligent action, we keep on hurting ourselves. Not to hurt myself, that's all. That is called dharma. So, swadharma anushthanat, the first step in the life of a human being, to extricate the self from this, the hold of this impulse of ragadvesha is to make a commitment to dharma, to make a commitment to do what is proper, what is right. 
And what is right for a person is determined by the disposition of the person. That's the reason why Lord Krishna now is going to describe different kinds of people. Basically four kinds of people having different dispositions. So people can be all classified in these four categories, four dispositions. So that we understand our own disposition, understand what is the right thing for me to do. That is Swadharma. Swadharma Anushthana by the performance of actions in keeping with one's own nature. Jnana <coughs> As a result, ultimately, Jnana meaning the arising of the knowledge. Knowledge arises. Gvanam Ajnanaatmakanam Nivrutthi In course of time, I become free from the hold of these three gunas, Sattva, Rajas and Tamas. As we said, Raga and the Dvesha. Raga is Rajas, Dvesha is Tamas. So I extricate myself from the control of the Rajas and Tamas, Raga Dvesha. Slowly the mind becomes Sattvic. When the mind becomes Sattvic, when it becomes pure, becomes placid, becomes pleasant, then that is a mind that is suitable for understanding the meaning of the words of the Upanishads, words of scriptures. And then when I subject myself to the Sharonam, listening to scriptures from the teacher, then the knowledge takes place. That's how the ignorance is dispelled. And then I recognize myself as the person, the Purusha, and not the personality. So when the mind is sattvic, when the mind is pure, that is when there is a capacity to discriminate between the person and the personality. That is possible for me to shift my identification from the personality to the person. What is the personality? This body, sense organs, mind, intellect, this complex. That is where my identity is right now. When the mind becomes sattvic, then with the help of the teaching of the scriptures, I gain the capacity to shift my identification from the personality to my true self, that is the person, and that is how there is the total freedom. That is moksha. And therefore, as I said, this freedom is in two stages. First is the freedom from these impulses. And second is the freedom from ignorance. That's the reason why Lord Krishna has described all along this sannyasi or renunciate, in the two stages of renunciation. First stage of renunciation being the renunciation of ragadvesha, or attachment, aversions, or inner impulses. And second stage of renunciation is renunciation of ignorance. <coughs> So Lord Krishna feels now that having described the samsara or the three gunas, there is now a need to also describe the method of extricating oneself from the samsara. Asanga Shastrena Dradhena Chitva, the 15th chapter said that one should cut asunder this tree of samsara by the weapon of detachment. What is detachment? Freedom from raga and tresha. How do detachment is objectivity? How to gain that detachment? How to gain that inner freedom? And that is the, the method, as I said, following dharma, performing actions in keeping with the order which is one's own nature. <coughs> and therefore, the, as a preface, Lord Krishna says in the verse 41, Brahma-kshatriya-visham Brahma-kshatriya-visham Shudranancha-parantapa Shudranancha parantapa karmani pravibhattani karmani pravibhattani 
ब्राह्मण क्षत्रिय विषाम शूद्राम हे परंतप उस कौशल बहने में ही अर्जुना द कर्मा एंड द ड्यूटीज ऑफ ब्राह्मण क्षत्रिय वैश्यास एंड शूद्रास द फोर कास्ट परिभक्ता ने आई डिवाइडेड दीज ड्यूटीज आर डिवाइडेड हाउ स्वभाव प्रभव ही गुण ही गुण ही अकॉर्डिंग टू द क्वालिटीज अकॉर्डिंग टू द डिस्पोजिशन ऑफ द माइंड एंड वॉट इज इज द डिटर्मिन्स डिस्पोजिशन ऑफ माइंड स्वभाव प्रभव ही गुण ही इट इज स्वभाव इज स्वभाव द नेचर ऑफ द माइंड दैट एवरी वन इज ब्रॉट विद दम सेल्फ वॉट इज द डिटर्मिन्स माई नेचर वेन आई एम बॉर्न वेल एज सेट वॉट आई एम इन द प्रेजेंट इज द प्रोडक्ट ऑफ द पास्ट एंड देवर वी से दैट बर्थ इज एन इवेंट and the event also is the result of the past and therefore the accumulated effect of what all that i have done in the past determines what my disposition will be when i am born that is the reason why everybody is born with different disposition everybody is born with different personality everybody is born you know different because everybody has a unique history and therefore everybody is unique No two things are the same. No two leaves are the same. No two fingerprints are the same. No two things are the same. Everything is unique because everything is has its unique history, and that is what we call the karma, the actions that I have performed in the past, the kind of desires that I have entertained, the kind of intentions that I have entertained. Yatha karma, yatha sudam. Kathopanishad says yatha karma in accordance with karma, the actions are performed. In accordance with the intentions that I have entertained, in accordance with the worship that I have performed, in accordance with the service that I have done, in accordance with the harm that I have done, whatever it is that I have done, the accumulated effect of all of that determines what I will be when I am born. And as a human being, I am given the free will, and the free will is to be utilized in bringing a transformation in my nature. As we say, the creatures, other than human beings, do not have the free will, and therefore they cannot change their nature. A dog is born a dog, and he will die a dog. A cat is born a cat, and will die as cat. A human being is born as human being; he can die as God also. He can die as an animal also. He can die as a demon also. Human being, being can perform variety of actions. Being here, I can bark like a dog. I can sting like a scorpion. I can, I can attack like a tiger. Or, of course, I can help like an angel. I can be an angel also. I can be an animal also. I can be a demon also. I can be anything. And I have the freedom to do that. As Swami says, that by giving me this human body, which is. The most sophisticated, or which is the culmination of the evolution process, God has done His job. And further evolution is that which I have to carry out myself. And what is that evolution? That is what we may call emotional maturity or spiritual evolution. The organic evolution God has taken care of and continues to take care of. Meaning that when a child is born, in course of time, it will grow into a youth. 
and into middle age, into old age, that may happen in course of time because that happens according to the laws of the nature, the laws of God. But whether, when a person becomes age of forty-five, that emotionally is forty-five or not, that remains to be seen. It is possible that at the age of forty-five, a person can be emotionally a fifteen-year-old person also. Sometimes a five-year-old person, sometimes a seventy-five-year-old person also. Somebody like Swami Vivekananda, somebody like Shankaracharya, at the very young age, I mean, they seem to show the wisdom which is, I don't know how to measure it in the years. Things that they say, they are like prophets, you know, things that they say, somebody has written a book on the, on the saying of Swami and the teaching of Swami Vivekananda. This is an American, one of our American disciples, this American disciple, this woman has written a very beautiful book. The gift unopened, it says. And the gift in the form of the teaching of Swami Vivekananda. And what only is said? She takes the constitution of the United States and, and compares the teaching of Swami Vivekananda with the various, various statements of the constitution and shows how the teaching has been prophetic, you know. And what someone like Shankarajari says 1200 years ago seems to show true even today. And therefore, what is that maturity? That also human being is capable of having. And of course, the maturity that we see, very often in the verse of the rest, where the people are just childish, immature, that is also possible. And therefore, human being has this potential of helping himself, or not helping himself, or hurting himself. And that's the reason why we require guidelines, we require direction, we require guidance. If there's only one track, no guidance is required. If coming from home to the Guru Kulam is just one track, no guidance is required. But if you have to make different, there are different choices. If we be two miles side, there, is a, there, is a, there are these, you know, four roads, you know, crossroads, I must make a choice, then I must have a map. Other two miles, again crossroads, then I must have a map. For animals, you know, life is like this. Only one road is there, that's all. This begin and the end. They need not make any choice because only one road. But for human being, in every situation, a choice is required. And that's a big responsibility. So where the freedom of choice is given, then also there is a responsibility. The animals or the creatures don't have freedom of choice, they have no responsibility. They can do what they want and they will never be wrong. A cat can kill as many mice as it wants and we will never hang her because that is, we accept it. But human being, when he kills the mice, then we have to think about it, you know. And so, thus, the human, the freedom of choice and therefore the responsibility. And that's the reason why, as a human being, I must always act in a responsible manner. Karmanivadikaraste, Arjuna, you have the responsibility to perform the action, meaning take responsibility of whatever you do. Give me the responsibility of the result, Lord Krishna says. You take the responsibility of action, give me the result, the responsibility of the result. So share the responsibility. There is a partnership between ourselves and God. Sharing the responsibility. But we must take the responsibility of action because that is where the free will is involved. Free will is involved. In determining result, no free will is involved because my free will doesn't determine the result, my free will determines action. Therefore, we use it properly. And there's a proper use of my free will, a responsible use of my free will is called dharma. There is dharma or sometimes called duty. 
एंड देयरफॉर लॉर्ड कृष्णा से इस कर्माणी प्रभक्तानी और इस कर्म द ड्यूटी द धर्म वट इज धर्म वट सराई थिंग वर पर्सन प्रभक्तानी आई डिवाइडेड अकॉर्डिंग टू स्वभाव प्रभव ही गुण ही अकॉर्डिंग टू डिस्पोजिशन दैट अ पर्सन इज ब्रॉड विथ हिम एंड द डिस्पोजिशन इज डिटर्मिन बाय द एक्शन दैट आर परफॉर्म इन पास यथा कर्म यथाश्रुतम वॉट एक्शन आर परफॉर्म एंड वॉट कैंड ऑफ मेडिटेशन आई डिड that determines what my present is and therefore everybody is born with certain disposition as we said of course every disposition is unique but for the purpose of organization all these dispositions were divided into four categories brahmana kshatriya vaishya shudra <coughs> swabhava prabhavi guna hi swabhava can be understood as maya and its gunas born of maya they determine my nature my duties or my own swabhava my own nature which i have inherited on account of my past actions that determines what my duties are <coughs> let me tell you what is what is the determining whether a person is brahmana ekshatriya vaishya or shudra jago kas in sanskrit they call varna in fact varna means color there were british the european scholars thought that this color business was there in india also Not only in the Western countries of black and white, Indians also had that problem. Varna is color, so Dravidians were dark in color, Aryans were fair in color, and therefore that's why this color business. No, here by varna or the color we mean the, the color of the mind. Understand that the dispositions are also in, denoted by some color, and therefore the disposition sattva is denoted by the color white. The disposition rajas is denoted by the color red, and tamas. is denoted by the color black the white red and black and therefore everything is made up of these three colors chandogya upanishad shows how the whole universe can be seen as made up of these three colors so the three elements three dispositions whatever and that is how everybody has a disposition which has a certain color which is a mixture of the white red and black and depending upon the proportion of white red and black everybody will have different color everybody is a unique color and still we can broadly classify this colors or dispositions in four four categories and those categories are called brahmana kshatriya vaishya and shudra let me just show you how this classification takes place the sattva is the predominant Followed by rajas, and then followed by tamas. So we will call that person a brahman, who is predominantly a sattvic person, and then followed by rajas. Some activities there, but activity generally is predominated by sattva. We'll see what these qualities of sattva are, and then finally tamas. With the kshatriya, in kshatriya, rajas is predominant, activity is predominant, in brahmana, sattva, knowledge is predominant, followed by activity. In kshatriya, activity is predominant, followed by sattva, and then finally tamas. So since the rajas is predominant in kshatriya, then who is an active person? But since rajas is followed by sattva, 
His activities are likely to be sattvic, selfless activities. He is capable of what we call activities which are directed to the service of the people, service of society, and that is kshatriya. These are the leaders. So if we see the quality of kshatriyas, we will find out what the quality of the leaders. The leaders, managers, you know, sakshatriyas. Vaishya has rajas as predominant, but followed by tamas. And then master sattva. So Vaishya also is a very active person. But since his, his rajas is followed by tamas, therefore, his activities are going to be selfish, self-centered activities rather than selfless activities. So that is where the Vaishya and Kshatriyas. So he's not a leader. A leader must necessarily be a giving person. A leader must necessarily be a large-hearted person. He must be a charitable, giving person, having concern for those whom he is leading. He must have in his mind the well-being of those whom he is leading, then alone he can be a leader. But as this person who always wants something. So that's why Kshatriya doesn't have an agenda of his own. Basically, he responds to the agenda of the society. He is a protector of the society. A Vaishya is his own agenda. So whatever he does, he does for his own self. Therefore, there is going to be selfishness here. So trading, etc. does, therefore he wants profit for himself. So what is in it for me? This question is, if Vaishya always asks this question, what is in it for me? And Sudra, in him the predominant is Tamas, followed by Rajas, and of course the play is the minimum. It is Sattva that makes a person a thinking person, a contemplative person, an objective person. And since in, in Sudra the Sattva is at the end, and tamas is the most, therefore, as we say, there is dullness. Tamas is characterized by dullness, inactivity, lack of motivation. And if he does something, it is going to be followed by, it is determined by tamas, and therefore if he does something, it will be a harmful activity. That it may hurt, he may hurt somebody, because there is a kind of impulse that he has. So this is all, these four categories of people, where are always there. It is not that this kind of people or the caste where they are the Vedic times, they are always there. <clears throat> in fact, in the fourth chapter, Lord Krishna says that I am the one who has created this world actually, you know, consisting of the four castes. I am the creator. That means God has created the human being, the human society, having people of this four disposition, wherever they go. And as we said yesterday, the only way that an organization can work is when all these four kinds of activities are there, then alone there any organization can work. <coughs> so Brahma is primarily a person who, because Sattva is predominant, there is love for knowledge, therefore learning, study. Study the Vedas, study the scriptures and teaching. So Adhyanam, Adhyapanam, study and teaching. Yajanam, Yajanam, 
performance of religious activities and yajanam means perform the religious activities or perform the yajna and yajanam and officiating the performance of yajna for other people. That's what a Brahmana does. So he performs yajna as well as he makes others also perform the yajna. He studies and he teaches. He performs the yajna of religious worship and he makes others also do that. And dhanam and pratigraha. Dhanam means that he gives charity and he receives charity also. There are six. So for Brahmana, with this disposition, because you see, he is not a, his life or his action is not going to make him, earn him a lot of money. See, study of the scriptures and teaching, teachers are not that well paid. Then no, there formally there is no, pay, no payment for teaching also. So when you pass on the knowledge, it is always done free. It is a privilege of everybody to learn, therefore I think education must have been free those days. The only time that you make a compensation of what you learned is at the end when you completed your study. That is called Guru Laksha. At that too, when the student completes the study at the home of the teacher, at that time he may not have anything with him. And therefore after he goes home and then he starts his work and then he may compensate the teacher. Like these days also some people do that. The alma mater, you know, they give. They, they make donations to their own universities and institutes from where they studied. They do. In fact, there is a group of Indians, uh, NRIs they call, you know, non-resident Indians, with reference to India they call non-resident. And so they get together and they have created a huge fund to help the institutions in India. There is an institution of IIT, Indian Institute of Technology, that's supposed to be some of the best institutes in India, technical institutes. And all the graduates from IITs are holding very high positions here and big businessmen and millionaires and they are creating, I think, a billion dollar fund or something like that to lift the standard of the IITs. Or to start what is IT, the, the information technology, you know. To, so, yes, this is the way to do. What I am saying is that Brahma is a teacher. As I told you one day, once in Swamiji was, uh, Swamiji was, visiting Ahmedabad, having a series of lectures, and then once there was a Vikshara. Vikshara was at uh, the place of one of our students. And the house was very, very modest and everything. And so I just told Swamiji while we were sitting for our lunch, I said, Swamiji, this is, uh, uh, we are in the home of a poor person. He says, Brahmana means poor Daridra. Brahmana means poor. If Brahmana cannot be a rich person. Because what does he do? He studies, he worships, at the most he may teach, he will perform his own rituals and if somebody calls him, he may officiate in those rituals. Therefore, he is the one who, who has the qualification or who has the right to receive charity. Dhanam, he can give charity, pratigraha, receiving charity. Adhyanam, adhyapanam, study and teaching. <coughs> And then uh, performing rituals and officiating, receiving gift and giving. So this is how supposed to be the duties of a Brahmana. Kshatriya. Kshatriya is also study of the scriptures, but not Abhyabhanam. Kshatriya is not a teacher, Brahmana is a teacher. But Kshatriya in order to do his job, he must study. So Abhyabhanam is always there. <coughs> Adhyaram, Yajnaha, Dhanam. He should also perform his worship. He should also perform yajna or his daily worship. And dhanam, 
giving charity, not receiving. A Kshatriya cannot receive charity, he cannot beg. A Brahmana has any right to go and beg arms, you know, he can become a sannyasi, a Kshatriya cannot. Prajashastrainar Prajaparanam, he is a man of valor, he is a bold person, and therefore, Shastrena Prajaparanam, protecting the people, protecting the society with the use of weapons. And therefore, Kshatriya is the only person who can, who can use, have weapons. He can have guns and stuff like that, you know, so nobody else can have him. A Brahmana cannot have any weapons with him, nor a Vaishya or anybody, a Kshatriya. <coughs> so this is how, according to this, Lord Krishna will also tell us, so according to disposition of the people, the duties in society were in fact divided. You can imagine this kind of a system can work very beautifully when the goal of life is very clear to people. That the goal of life of a human being is moksha. And the process of attaining moksha liberation is self-growth, inner growth. That is, we say the human being consists of person and personality, spirit and matter. That spirit always, the matter must be subservient in the spirit. And therefore, spiritual growth is a primary duty of the human being. And the material growth comes in its way, then it's fine. So whenever there is a conflict between the spirit and matter, I should be willing to sacrifice the matter or let go of my attachment to matter for the sake of the spirit. This is called the spiritual person. So he is a spiritual person who is committed to the spiritual growth. Very often you can be materially prosperous also while being spiritually prosperous, that is fine. That's what they want. In fact, Bhagavad Gita says and the scriptures tell us that if there is spiritual prosperity in the society, that society also will be materially prosperous, no question about it. And if there is spiritual poverty in the society, that will be materially also poor. And therefore, the scriptures have not ignored the material prosperity. But they always say that spiritual prosperity is a way to gain material prosperity. Sahayajnaha prajasrishtva purovacha prajapatihi anena prasavishudvam eshavostvishtakamadut The third chapter Lord Krishna says that when the human beings are created, as we say, rest of the creatures do not require any guidance or any guidance because they act according to their instinct and they are always okay. They are in keeping with the order. But since he will therefore, he requires the guidance. That is where the scriptures are. And therefore, the Creator told the human beings, the look of human beings are created yajna, the spirit of sacrifice. Ayana prasavishadvam, by the spirit of sacrifice, by the spirit of offering, by the spirit of cooperation, prasavishadvam, may eshavostvishtakam, many people prosper. May the spirit of sacrifice or offering, may it become kamaduk, may it become your wish-fulfilling cow. See, there is a very beautiful concept in the mythology of kamadhanu, a wish-fulfilling cow. Can you imagine that? A wish-fulfilling cow, a wish-fulfilling tree, a wish-fulfilling creature, a creeper. So may this yajna, there is something called a This yajna, the spirit of cooperation among the different members of society, may that become the wish-fulfilling cow and may you prosper. 
देवान भावयतानेन ते देवा भावयंतु वह व्यू प्रविश्य देवता एक्शन एंड नॉट लेट दोज देवता ऑल्सो नरिश विंटर्न परस्परम भावयंत एंड दस म्यूचुअली प्रोपिशियडिंग इच अदर ये यू नो श्रेय परमापसत व्यू अटेन दी अल्टीमेट गोल व्यू अटेन द गोल ऑफ योर लाइफ द मटेरियल प्रॉस्पेरिटी एज वेल एज स्पिरिचुअल प्रॉस्पेरिटी सो दिस वॉज अ स्पिरिट दिस वॉज स्पिरिट बिहाइंड ऑर्गेनाइजिंग दी सोसायटी विथ रेफरेंस टू दी पर्सनैलिटी देव द ड्यूटीज आर असाइंड द स्पिरिट देर वॉज ड्यूटी एवरीबडी परफॉर्म्स द ड्यूटी That means everybody performs what is right for them. Everybody is therefore dedicated to the totality, the whole society, rather than dedicated to their own personal interest. There is called the spirit of cooperation, where we cooperate with each other. As I said, when I want to perform the duty, then the the priority of others become more important to me than my priority. The comfort of others is more important to me than my own comfort. That's the spirit of duty. But then the point is that if everybody functions in that spirit, that is, if I act so as to fulfill, you know, so as to satisfy your needs, and you then you act to satisfy my needs, then what is my duty becomes your right, and what is your duty becomes my right, and therefore in a duty-based society, ideally everybody's rights are also taken care of. It's a society based on the spirit of cooperation. That is how the nature functions. That is how even our body also functions. How the different limbs in our body they function in a spirit of cooperation. There is no competition. The hands and legs don't compete with each other; they cooperate with each other. If the leg is hurt, the hand immediately goes to help it. If one limb of the body requires help, the whole body responds because the whole body functions as an organic whole. Even though it is consists of many parts or many limbs. Each of them being different from each other, and still it functions as an organic whole, and the whole universe also functions as an organic whole. And that's how to make the society an organic whole. This kind of an arrangement, this kind of a vyavastha, this kind of organization was was thought of. <coughs> that everybody performs that task for the society for which they are most suited, and therefore a person. Brahmanant in sattva is most suited to study. You can't give him a sword; he can't do anything with it. A Brahman will run away. He doesn't know how to protect himself even. This also we know that as you become more and more refined, a refined race always is a you know it is not physically or, or you know or, or uh, it's not very physically strong or not a martial race. We find in history also all the barbaric races have destroyed all the refined races. Because as you become refined, then what? Then you become non-violent. Then you become a you know a refined person, a non-violent person, is a calm person or is a gentle person. So that is called evolution, where there is evolution in gentleness. In animals also, the gentle animals are supposed to be more refined or more evolved than fierce animals. But we always find the fierce one always attacks the gentle one. That seems to be similarly in the human history also we find. All the gentle races were attacked and dominated and destroyed by the fierce races. <clears throat> But anyway, as we say, the Brahmana represents that way the highest evolution in the in the personality of human being. Therefore, he is the most gentle person. He possesses a mind that is a contemplative mind, a thinking mind. 
suitable for study and teaching. Therefore, he is best in that. If you ask him to do something else, he can't do it properly. Ask him to, you know, do something else. Ask him to lead an organization, manage something. He can't do that. Ask him to sit and study and do his reading and writing and he is best at that. Kshatriya, give him a sword, give him a, give him a scepter and he can control everybody because as Lord Krishna will describe, he has a lordship. He just, that is his nature, to be able to command everybody. But since his rajas is followed by sattva, therefore he will command other people for their well-being and not to exploit them. You can always use your power to exploit the weak, but here Kshatriya is the one who uses his power to protect the weak. And that's what we require in the society, to protect the society from the aggression of the others. Also to keep an order in the society because it's, it's always going to happen that people in the society follow their impulses and they disturb the order, you require someone to maintain the order or dharma in the society. So Kshatriya is the one who follows dharma and also makes sure that other people also follow dharma. That's the king. So kings are all like Kshatriya. They must perform dharma. They must live a life of dharma. At the same time, their responsibility is to maintain the dharma in society. The brahmana gains the knowledge and passes on the knowledge. Akshatriya follows dharma and also maintains dharma. <coughs> he is the best in that. He is the quality of leadership. He has the generosity. He has the overlordship. He has all the qualities required of a leader. You require a leader also. You require a thinker also. Brahma is a thinker. Kshatriya is a leader. Vaishya is a trader. You require that also. You require somebody to produce and distribute. A Brahmana cannot do that. A Kshatriya also doesn't know how to do that. And that we require some different kind of a skill, different insight to produce and distribute. That is a Vaishya. That function also we require in the society. This infrastructure, you know, that, that distributes the thing, that produces and stores and distributes and whatever, that also we require. And of course we require somebody to do the, the manual work. And that is where the Shudra comes, because that is all he can do. The Tamas being predominant, he cannot be a thinking person, he cannot have the leadership, he doesn't have insight of trading or distribution also, the only thing he can do is to follow direction, that's all. A Shudra is the one who requires to be told what to do. And therefore he is the best to serve other people. This is how the four functions were. <coughs> In the Vedas it is said, how Brahmana emerged from the mouth of the Lord, how the Kshatriyas emerged from the arms of the Lord, how the Vaishyas emerged from the thighs of the Lord, now Shudras emerged from the feet of the Lord. Therefore, Brahmana stands for the head, Kshatriya stands for the arms, the Vaishya stands for the stomach, the Shudra stands for the legs. If all these four are there, then alone the body can function properly. And therefore, there was no intention of determining the superiority or inferiority of one caste or the other. As I said, if the spirit is one of duty, one of self-growth, one of spiritual growth, if ultimate moksha is supposed to be the ultimate goal, and life of yoga is supposed to be the process, then there is no competition. In which case, no work is superior, no work is inferior. Then every work has the potential of spiritual growth. 
And therefore, the work is, the superiority work is measured by the spiritual growth it can bring about rather than a material gain. So this kind of an avyavastha can work if the material gain is not the purpose, but the spiritual gain or dharma is the purpose. For following dharma, the following one's duty of righteousness, this is an excellent vyavastha, an excellent organization. Just as in our body also, you cannot say that the head is superior to the legs or hands are superior to stomach. You can't say that. Well, its place is here. Head is in the, in the highest place. Second place are the hands. Third place is the stomach. Fourth place is the feet. So in the placement also there is some kind of an order because of the task that are supposed to perform. But in the body we cannot say that one limb is superior to the other limb. All the limbs are equal equal in importance in as much as they contribute to the maintenance of the body, what they are supposed to do. So the body itself represents a very beautiful arrangement, a very beautiful management. That's they call it body politic, you know. It's a very beautifully managed system. The universe also is a very beautifully managed system. Therefore, whenever we talk about management, we say that, look, the model of management is right, right before us. Look at how beautifully the universe is managed. If we send planes in the air, they keep striking with each other. We don't find that kind of thing happening here. Everything is in its own orbit, very nicely functioning. In our body also, how every member of the body is dedicated to the totality that is the body. Anyway, so that was the spirit around keeping in mind, keeping which in mind, this society was organized. Unfortunately, it, you know, as we say, when there is dharma, not unfortunately, but whenever society follows dharma or righteousness, society becomes prosperous. <coughs> Lord, Lord Krishna said, yajnyat bhodi parjanya. From yajnya, the spirit of sacrifice, comes parjanya, the rain, the prosperity. When prosperity comes, comfort also comes. When comfort comes, then the capacity to suffer pain also goes down. <coughs> People are not willing to, to, to suffer hardship. Then they become comfort-oriented person, doesn't want to exert himself. And following duty always involves some exertion. Therefore, people's capacity to perform duty, that capacity slowly and slowly goes down. The tapasriya, the austerities and penance also goes down. And society becomes slowly morally loose. And the very dharma that brought the prosperity is sacrificed by the very prosperity. Adharma comes. And then spiritual, then ragadveshas prevail, the asuras prevail, the, the demoniac tendencies prevail. Then naturally the attraction of the matter becomes predominant, therefore material prosperity becomes more important than spiritual prosperity. When material gain is the criterion, then one work is superior to other work. Then Brahma is in a, you know, then, then, then Shudra will, will be jealous of this Kshatriya, you know. The, how come you are sitting on the throne and I have to wash your feet, you know. Because the, the, the remuneration is different from different kind of work. And that is how the competition comes in. So a non-competing society, which was a spirit, becomes a competing society. And then the strength is used not to protect the weak, but to exploit the weak. As we see today happening in the world then no system will work. And therefore the caste system also did not work. And in course of time all kinds of corruption came and 
it what was meant as a, as a system of helping the human beings to grow became the very system which condemned part of the human beings and became a tremendous curse also for the for the society and that is where we are at this time in india where the caste system is not a blessing but is a curse of course as you said the original division was according to division of the disposition not according to the birth but the other night we discussed also that birth is the immediate physical objective criterion to determine the disposition because we say the law of karma means that everybody is born in the right place therefore you can take for granted that a person born in brahmana family will have the disposition also that's how the castes were then divided according to birth but when the intermingling takes place when brahmana wants to act as a vaishya he wants to use his position to make more money and stuff like that he is no more a brahmana and therefore a core time came when you can never tell whether a person born in brahmana family is brahmana or vaishya or shudra or whatever is kshatriya and that's how this criterion of birth is no more applicable now anyway but understand that the caste system is in every society is in every house is in every organization because these four functions every society requires and then alone any system can function that is how lord krishna says brahmana kshatriya visham shudranam cha parantava karmani pravihatani swabhava prabhu irgunai here arjuna the karma the duties of this four castes were determined according to swabhava according to disposition of their nature not according to birth but disposition of the nature <coughs> and subsequently lord krishna describes what is the disposition of brahmana kshatriya vaishya shudra and how acting in keeping with that disposition helps a person grow sve sve karmani abhiratah samsiddhim labhate narah devoted to one's own duty a person gains perfection in short he becomes slowly and slowly satvik ultimately attains the goal of his life which is moksha and that was the purpose of this caste system okay i guess that is what we want to share with you and uh, discussion of the subsequent verses will have to be left to the the next camp now <coughs> om purnamada purnamidam purnat purnamudachyate पूर्णस्य पूर्णमादाय पूर्णमेवावशिष्यते ओम शान्ते 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 शंकरं शंकराचार्यं केशवं बादरायनं सूत्रभाष्यकृतौ वन्दे भगवन्तौ पुनः पुनः ईश्वरो गुरुरात्मेदि मूर्तिभेद विभागिने व्योमद्याप्तेहाय दक्षिणामूर्त नम ओ शाशाशाशा हरि ओ श्रीगुरुभ्यो नम हरि ओ